Although American Civil War and UK history is a hobby, there are small costs associated with running a podcast. So if you enjoy our content, please support the show. You can do this by pressing the support the show button or pressing on the link to buy me a coffee in the show notes. Thank you for your continued support. Daz, American Civil War and UK history. Cheers. Hey, welcome everybody to the American Civil War and UK History channel on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Today we're joined by Carolyn Davis. So Carolyn, what sparked your interest in the Civil War? <laughs> so I can't really figure out what particular moment really sparked my interest. Um, as a kid, my parents were really awesome about taking myself and my sister to the different national parks here in the country. And so, you know, by age 11, I was at Gettysburg. I had seen quite a few different places um, in North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, places along those lines. So it became just so natural for uh, those to be a part of my life that it turned into a hobby and eventually turned into my career. So I'm so jealous. I wish I lived where <laughs> you did. I, I want to be able to walk those battlefields, you know. I understand. I we actually live in Indiana, so it is uh, quite a drive to get to the battlefields. Um, the battlefield battlefield closest to me is probably about four hours away, Ooh. so it's still a bit of a drive to get there. But yeah. uh, thankfully, we're we're able to do it. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this. So you have worked, or you still work for the as a seasonal park ranger don't you for you have done Fredericksburg Vicksburg and of course Stones River so how did that come about uh so when I was a senior in college I um decided to do an internship at Fredericksburg National Battlefield and as a senior it was like my last summer before my senior year and so I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do with this history degree I knew I wanted to do something with history, but I always assumed it would be teaching. Um, but I knew I didn't want to be a teacher, so I had kind of gotten myself into a predicament that way. Um, and during that internship, I figured out what the National Park Service was, and it really just kind of stuck with me that there was this entire other field of careers that I could go into um, that didn't involve teaching, per se, in the classroom, that normal um, predictable setting. So after that internship, I decided to go to grad school. And so I went to grad school and then started applying for positions at the park service. Um, in the meantime, doing internships anytime I could get them. And so I've been lucky enough to be able to work at Stones River, um, Vicksburg, Fredericksburg. I even worked out at the uh, Grand Canyon for a little while and then the CNO Canal in Maryland. So not all of them were in park ranger status. Um, most of them were still as an intern, um, but Vicksburg specifically, as well as CNO Canal, I've been able to, to work as a park ranger. Oh, that's really cool. And I mean, you must, to, to, to be able to go into the job of being a park ranger, you must have to learn a lot of stuff before you actually end up going out there and doing, because that people are going to ask you every question under the sun, aren't they? You know, they but, uh, do, they yeah. do, but, uh, you've got to be ready and on your toes. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, they are. They do seem to be fairly understanding if I can't remember everything. So that's always good. Oh, cool. So. 
And uh, I understand that you are writing a book at the moment um, with another guy called, uh, Bert, is it Bert Dunkley? Yes. Yep. So that's about Stones River, is it? About the battlefield or what's the inspiration Correct. behind yeah. that? It's, uh, it's one of the, it's going to be one of the Emerging Civil War book series. Um, kind of like the ones that Chris has written on Fredericksburg. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah. Chancellorsville, stuff along those lines. So it's just going to be a short little um book about the battle of stones river and the events there so so it's like it's sort of a cross isn't it between a guide and sort of like a book in a way isn't it because that's what the Fredericksburg one's like because i'm listening to that at the moment because as you're probably aware i don't i don't read because i just haven't got the attention span i mean i could probably read that because it's probably quick and easy but um i just find it hard you know so listening to it it makes it easier for me and uh, the fact that uh, you know you can listen to them instead makes it easier for me but um you know, I mean, I'm enjoying it. It's really good. You know, I mean, he's got he's got about 12, I think, hasn't he? Something like that. So if you're, you yes. guys are going to add to it, it's even better, you know. And it gives people that little bit of the guide to the battlefield, I suppose, if they don't want to go around with a tour guide, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Or, yep. you know. Anyway, so also I understand that you had a relative that unfortunately got killed at the Battle of Stones River. Yeah, um, as best I can imagine, figure out, that's uh, that's how he unfortunately met his end. Um, he was from a little town called Jackson, Kentucky. Um, through my research, I've been able to figure out that the men living in his area had mustered in in Lexington, Kentucky, and became a part of the Orphan Brigade under John C. Breckenridge. Um, and then at Stones River... Uh, the Orphan Brigade is the the group that, uh, or Breckenridge's men, they're the, they're the ones that go in on January 2nd um, in that one final assault attempt, which Bragg orders them to do, despite um, Breckenridge trying to, to stand up for his men and say, no, we're not doing this. Bragg still orders him to do this. And uh, so they're, they're, they're just slaughtered. Um, you know, I believe I was just there and I was reading some of the wayside exhibits and I want to say it was like 37 or 41 percent of their men were killed in less than an hour, um, killed, captured or wounded, had fallen casualty there. Um, so as you can imagine, those that brigade and that division were just absolutely decimated. Yeah. Um, and as far as my family member goes, Robert Davis, we know that he joined up. We know that he was fighting in Middle Tennessee. Um, we have no documentation that he was at Stones River, but given the the brigade that he was with and knowing that he was at he was with the Orphan Brigade, it's safe to assume he was there. Um, however, after Stones River, we can't find any records of him. No, no. So you're not 100 no. percent sure he could he could have he most likely would have been in that battle, I suppose. Then, yeah. So was he native to Kentucky at the time then? or No, sorry, what state was he from? He was from Kentucky. So he was from Kentucky. So he yep. was one of those guys that sort of stuck in the middle and didn't know what side to choose. You know, exactly. With the uh, um, border states type thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So I'll just, you know, and please step in if, if you must, because I've done a little bit of background to the Battle of Stones River and like sort of like if you want, you can just sort of like fill in the gaps for me or, you know, because... I've written a few bits down. Um, so, 
if I can get my mouse to work. There we go. So obviously, the the Battle of uh, Stones River, or as it's known somewhere out. Um, so battles always known as two different things, aren't they? In American Civil War, most of the time. So it's either Stones River or the Second Battle of Mur Murfreesboro. Is that correct? So why why do they always yes. call it a different name? I've never understood that. Um. So it is because. Each side has picked a, a different name um, for the battle, and normally it goes to the the victor as to which name that we use. Um, so you have battles such as uh, Bull Run, um, which also goes by the name of Manassas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah, my brain is not. <laughs> Yeah, not fully functioning yet. So we have these these things come up. Um, I believe it was the the Confederates tended to name it name a battle after the nearest city, and the Union tended to name the battles after the nearest waterway. So um, Bull Run is actually like a little waterway that runs through Manassas. Manassas, of course, is the name of the town. So it, it's weird. You have this this strange kind of dichotomy between which name that we're using. So, Oh, that's pretty cool. And just for the viewers at home, um, Walmart is not there at the time of the battle. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so um, anyway, so Major General Braxton Bragg had been in Murfreesboro since 20th of November, 1862. His army joined... Uh, sorry, his Army of Mississippi had joined together with the Army of Kentucky to form the Army of Tennessee. So, Caroline, please tell us a little bit about Bragg, because he's a bit of a, contra not controversial, but I hear that he's not very well liked by his superior, uh, not superior, but by his officers underneath him. Yeah, um, I I have to agree with his, uh, his subordinates. I am not a fan of General Bragg. Um, Bragg gets a bit of a reputation because of how the Kentucky campaign is handled earlier, previously to Stones River happening. Um, he makes some, he makes some people mad. And then fast forward to December of 1862 here, we're sitting at Stones River. They're supposed to be in camp and there's one instance in particular that really kind of seals the deal with, um, most Kentuckians hating him, in which he actually orders the execution of a Kentucky soldier. Um, this soldier had received word that his father had passed away and his homestead was falling apart. His mother couldn't take care of it. He asked for leave to go home um, and was denied. The thing was, is his time with the army was about to end anyways. So at that point in time, he picked up and he left, um, only to be tracked down by the, the Confederates and brought back to camp, um, where he was then tried as a deserter, um, and Bragg ordered his execution. So that is the, the, the culminating event that happens. Um, I believe that is on December 13th or 14th, um, so we're talking two and a half weeks, roughly, before Stones River starts. Um, 
and that's really that that point of contention between Bragg and Breckenridge specifically, as well as some of his other commanders, um, but most vehemently between him and Breckenridge was this hatred of the Kentucky soldiers and Bragg and Bragg's mutual hatred for them. And I mean, a lot of the time they tried to get him removed, didn't they? They petitioned to they Jefferson Davis to get him uh, swapped over or changed. So that must have been hard for him to try and get to motivate his subordinates to do the jobs that they had to do, you know, because I mean, you know, but anyway, I also heard a saying and I don't know whether it's true. And it, uh, this is a saying I heard. So the saying is that in the Mexican-American War, a shell landed in Braxton Bragg's tent. And it was a shame for the Confederacy that it didn't blow up. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, I think I heard it on a podcast somewhere, but I think it's quite funny. I mean, it's not funny because I don't want to, I wouldn't want anyone getting injured. But, you know, apparently that's what they said. <laughs> you know, somebody was quoted of saying that. I don't know if it's true. It wouldn't surprise me. I haven't heard that specific um, quote, but uh, it would not surprise me with some of the reading some of the uh, the accounts and and um, relationships that Bragg had throughout okay. the army. So, right, let's move on to uh, so William Rosecrans. Sorry, Major General William Rosecrans. His army is in Nashville, Tennessee. I hear he was put under a lot of pressure by not just by Lincoln, but by Washington as well, and told that if he did not move on Bragg, that he would be replaced. Is that true? Uh, yeah. So going into the Battle of Stones River, Rosecrans ends up with quite a bit of pressure put on him um, because the the Union Army needs this, needs a, a victory. They've suffered some major um, defeats, specifically at the Battle of, of Fredericksburg. Um, and keep in mind, on January 1st of 1863, Lincoln is wanting to have the Emancipation Proclamation go into effect. Um, at that point in time, the Union civilian population weren't fully on board because, in their minds, they were fighting a losing war. Um because there wasn't much momentum going on for the Union Army that time. They weren't getting these, these big resounding victories that everyone was kind of expecting. And so Lincoln has to turn to someone and he turns to Rosecrans and, um, and Washington does the same <coughs> and basically says, hey, you have the enemy here at your front door. Do something about it. Um, and so he, you, it is correct in saying that he was... He was very much pressured into going after Bragg, who was stationed less than 30 miles away from him in Nashville. So, And also you've got the main rail line to Chattanooga going through that town, through those mm -hmm. towns. I mean, you've, it goes from Nashville to Chattanooga, doesn't it? So that, I suppose, in a way, that's important anyway. You've got to get hold mm -hmm. of that as well, haven't you? So um, also, I hear that him and Grant just didn't like each other. Um, is that true as well? Or have you um, heard you know, about that? I'm not entirely sure. No. Um, yeah, I don't. I just don't know. It's not okay. something that I've, I've, I've learned much about. So I'm not sure if that would be the case or not. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. I know there's some distrust or distrust within the union leadership um, in the Western theater, but uh, 
and I know Grant's reputation, um, which granted he, he redeems himself quite, uh, quite vigorously, but for, for a long time, most people in the unions, higher ups in the union did not want Grant to be in charge of anything. So it could be um, something to go do with that, where it's just his reputation um, made Rosecrans a little iffy about him. And of course, Rosecrans gets a bit of a bad rep anyway, doesn't he? Because of uh, Chickamauga and then Chattanooga. And then obviously he gets replaced by his, well, I think he's his best friend, isn't he, uh, George Thomas? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, so Rosecrans leaves Nashville on the 26th of December, which we call Boxing Day here in the UK, um, 1862, to confront Bragg. Uh, they are followed and harassed all the way by cavalry. So is that what slows them down a little bit? That, uh, the, the fact that they're being harassed all the way to, to mm -hmm. Murfreesboro? And yeah. uh, it takes them three days to get there. They finally reach Stones River on the 29th of December. And then the night before, the Union and Confederate bands have a battle of bands. So what that... Uh, you know, I find this fascinating, this story, because I've heard this a couple of times, <laughs> some things I've read and some things I've watched. And, and uh, yeah, so I'll let you tell the story, if that's okay. Yeah, definitely. So, um, on the eve of battle, uh, and this remarkably isn't the only place that we see this happen at. Um, this happens quite often um, during the war, but both armies have their, their bands with them, and they would get into sort of a battle of the bands in which one side would play, you know, uh, Dixie, um, and then the union would play a, uh, a union song. Um, and they would kind of go back and forth, back and forth. But the remarkable thing about the battle of the bands here, um, and it's one of my favorite quotes from when I was working there, basically what they, what they say is that, um, at some point the bands kind of fell silent and all of a sudden they struck up the song home sweet home um and both bands kind of joined in and there was a hush that fell over the battlefield um which i thought was always super remarkable and i really love telling that portion of the story um at stones river because you've you know it's funny that they we have we call this the battle of the bands but then to wrap it all up by them playing home sweet home um and just talking about the, the reverence that that brought about because these, these boys didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be fighting this war, um, but they were there. And so it's remarkable that you have this moment almost of peace. And then the next day, this massive battle occurs and it's, you know. But that, that, that's quite similar to obviously World War One when uh, you get at Christmas Day, you get the Germans and the British and not mm -hmm. just the British, everyone joining. They have a football game, you know, or a soccer yeah. game, you know. So it's like there's always those moments, I suppose. It's amazing, really. Make, makes you think. Um, and then, like you said, the next day they're, they're killing each other. Um, mm -hmm. OK, so the Army of Tennessee had around about 35,000 men with Braxton Bragg, as we've already said. And so this is the uh, Army of the Tennessee Command. So these are the main four commanders on the day, aren't they? So you have um, Bragg, the, the main commander. You have Leonardus, I can't even say this guy's name, Polk. There you go, that'll do. 
William Hardy and Joseph Wheeler. So we'll move on to the union. The union have um, obviously William Rosecrantz and you have Major General Alex, uh, Alexander M. McCook. George H. Thomas, which is, I do believe, is uh, uh, Rosecrans' best mate. And we have uh, uh, Thomas L. Crittenden. I can't say that one either. God, I've got to get better on these pronunciations. Right. So the battle starts at around about 6 a.m. And Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant uh, General William Hardy will attack the Union right flank and catch the Union still asleep. So at this point, they're all still asleep, are they? They're... Uh, having a nice dream and the next thing you know, bam, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much. That must have been really hard. Um, some, some real hard fighting took place in a place called Hell's Half Acre and the Slaughter Pen, not to be mistaken with what the one in Fredericksburg that, that uh, well, the, the reason I bring this up is because Chris Mikowski mentioned it in a video the other day and he, uh, uh, that he was making for you guys when he was taking photography of the battlefield. And he said, he basically said, uh, you know, um, just remember the real ones in Fredericksburg or something along them lines. I can't exactly remember what he said, but it was quite funny. It made me chuckle anyway. Um, so, yeah, the real ones in Fredericksburg. No, it's not really. <laughs> but, yeah, so, oh, <laughs> yeah, watch it back. You'll, you'll see what I mean. Um, but anyway, so Hell's Half Acre and uh, the Slaughter Pen. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, Hell's Half Acre and the Slaughter Pen, they happen um, kind of later in the day, early afternoon um, for this battle, which it's really quite interesting. Both leaders, both Rosecrans and Bragg, um, they set up the almost identical battle plans um, in which they're... I've got to remember my left and my right now. This is the difficult part. Yeah, I always <laughs> forget that. Don't worry. So, yeah, no, you're fine. So, um, you know, the, the Confederates, when they're attacking, they're going to attack with their left, um, the Union right. At the same time, the Union is attacking with their left to the Confederate right. So you almost end up with this um, clockwise rotation going on in the battlefield. The only difference being, however, is Bragg orders the attack to start very early. Um, you know, we, as you stated, it was 6 a.m. He orders this attack um, to kind of go through. The, the Confederate left attacks the Union right, who is under the command of General McCook, and I think one of the funniest um, quotes from the Civil War is when McCook is referred to as a chucklehead because he's just, he's kind of portrayed as this, this bumbling idiot to be, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, and McCook's men are taken by surprise because McCook likes to sleep in. So while the rest of the Union Army had been kind of up and preparing for a battle of some sort, McCook likes to sleep in. And, you know, I, I can't fault him for that. We all like to sleep in every once in a while, but perhaps not on a, uh, a day of battle is yeah, the best time, time to do that. there's a time place for sleeping in, isn't there? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, so when the Confederates attack, his, his troops are just run over because they haven't been prepared 
to to face off with the Confederates this early in the morning. Um, so, so sorry, it's kind of like both sides. So the Union are sort of winning that side, and then the Confederates are, mm -hmm. at that point of the battle. Um, Correct. Also, yep. I heard that um, William Rosecrans was standing next to one of his subordinates, and he unfortunately got his head blown off. And, yes, uh, uh, General, oh, um, and yeah, sorry, not General, um, but Garishay, um He was one of uh, one of Rosecrans' quite good friends, and uh, they were riding along the line, checking the lines, and um, a cannonball comes through and decapitates Garishay in a matter of, of seconds. Um, so to the point where where Bragg, or not Bragg, sorry, where Rosecrans has, you know, Garishay's blood and even brain matter, things along those lines splattered across his own chest. Um, and of course his, his friend has died right in front of him instantly. It's a, uh, it's a pretty gruesome sight to see for everyone. It's something that Rosecrans will remember the rest of his life and it deeply affects him um, as well as the other people who are riding along with them at the time. So you can't even imagine that. Could you couldn't even imagine it? Horrible. No. So the Confederates do achieve their objective in the end. Don't know. They capture 28 guns and 3000 union soldiers as uh from what i've read uh, and by 4 30 p.m that day that battle on that day is it, it finishes and uh i heard that both sides sent their rep uh, their representatives or their re uh, sorry respected commanders and told them that they'd both won the battle so where is that true yes so um bragg is very much so let me let me back up so at the end of december 31st at the end of this battle um if you look at this map here the two lines are the 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 union is sitting there on the nashville turnpike there with the railroad and stuff um and the confederates are sitting right across from it so the confederates have achieved their objective as far as pushing the Union out of areas such as Hell's Half Acre and the Slaughter Pen, things along those lines. Ideally, what they were wanting to do was to capture the National Pike Turnpike um, because that would essentially hinge the Union Army sitting like this. And if they're able to push the Union off of the Turnpike, they're going to close the, the Union in on itself and essentially destroy Rosecrans' whole all of his forces here. Um, the Confederates aren't able to officially do that, um, mostly because you have smaller groups of men of the Union Army who are holding that hinge. So right here in that, that hinge portion, um, such as Hazen's Brigade, um, and it's men like that who hold their position so staunchly um, on the 31st that the union is then able to kind of re rebuild and regroup. And so they're able to maintain that, that line there. So um, the Confederates are on this side of the, the turnpike. The union is up here on the turnpike. Um, <coughs> and so that's the, the mood that is being set as we go into December um, 31st. Bragg writes to Jefferson Davis and tells him 
that victory is his, that he has won on this battlefield because he fully expects the Union Army to retreat back to Nashville the following day on New Year's Eve. Um, Rosecrans doesn't necessarily believe that he has won the battle. Um, he sees it for what it is, that they're kind of more in a, in a stalemate. Um, so he goes to his subordinates and he asks them their opinion of, you know, do we retreat? Do we stay and fight? What, what do we do? Um, and he's kind of emboldened in the fact that, no, we're going to stay and we are going to fight um, here at Stones River. And so that's what they do. And so on the morning of January 1st, on New Year's Day, both armies wake up, rag fully expecting to see the Union Army has cleared out, wakes up to realize that the Union Army is still there. Rosecrans didn't think that Bragg was going to retreat or anything, so he doesn't really wake up to any surprise. Um, but they're, but you are correct in saying that on the night of, of New Year's Eve, both of them had a sense of, we've won this battle. Um, Bragg just seemed to be a little bit more confident in that in writing back to Jefferson Davis and letting him know. Like I said, Rosecrans never really writes home about winning the battle. He more on more or less goes to his subordinates and asks, all right, after this entire day of fighting, do we stay? Do we leave? Um, and ultimately the decision is to stay. So they wake up on the first and do they actually engage on the first? Cause I, I, there's not really much information about the first. I think there's a little bit of, yeah. isn't there? There's yeah, there's just a little bit of skirmishing going on back and forth. Um, for the most part, they kind of call a ceasefire, on January 1st, um, so that each opposing side can go out, collect their dead, care for their wounded, things along those lines. So you see some skirmishing going on, but not, not an overwhelming amount. Um, for the most part, it's pretty peaceful on January 1st. Thing is, people forget that you know these the the dead need picking up and wounded need, and they they used to do that a lot in the battles, didn't they? they used to have a little truce, didn't they, in between, so they could. Going. Mm -hmm. how would they how would they engage that would they send someone over with a i don't know how would they you know instigate that or was it a gentleman's understanding or something along them lines yeah i think it's more along the the gentleman's understanding um just you know they're they're tired they're worn out and that's the same on both sides and i think it's one of those things where it's just generally understood that that's what they were going to use the day for okay so we get on to the second then. So um, from what I gather, the uh, second, nothing really happens until about four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, uh, Bragg directs John Breckenridge, who you spoke about at the beginning, to attack the Union right, was because uh, obviously the Union was on a hill east side of the river. Breckenridge was not happy with this because obviously he knew that this was going to be a suicidal attack. But they did push the Union back across McFadden's Ford, but then ran into heavy fire from Union guns. Um, and then the Union guns, well, sorry, the Union then counterattack and pushed Breckenridge back. And, and like you pointed out earlier, he loses a third of his Kentucky troops, which unfortunately might have been the part where your relative, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, mm -hmm well disappeared off off the map sort of thing yep. um yeah so 
Um, so that must have been quite quite horrendous. Uh, like you said, it was uh, a third, so that was quite a lot. So how many was actually in that uh, part of the army at that point? Do you know? Um, in the Orphan Brigade or with Breckenridge, I believe it was 4,100. Okay. So, and the reason they're called the Orphan Brigade is because of, I can't remember how they got the nickname now. Do you remember that? Yeah, so the Orphan Brigade, they get, they get their name because they're made up from men from Kentucky who, as you had mentioned earlier, they don't really have a side. They're not, they're, the, they're a weird border state, so they don't side with the Union. They also don't side with the Confederacy. So the state in and of itself, without having an allegiance to one side or the other, um, is deemed as an orphaned are as an orphan and so the orphan brigade are men that were from the state of Kentucky who were for lack of a better term orphaned by the war because they did not have an allegiance to one side or the other okay and I also oh, I don't know why I keep doing that sorry you're uh, fine so the battle finishes and I understand as well that a monument was put up um, so I think, was that on uh, Hell's Half Acre? Yes. Where that was put up. So, so uh, the monument was put up actually before the war ended, wasn't it? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So it's the, correct, oldest, yeah. the oldest monument in, in, uh, in, well, not in America, you know what I mean, as in for the Civil War is concerned. That's yeah. the oldest one. And then it's, they built a cemetery around it, is it? Yes. Yeah, so the cemetery... Um, if you're looking at this picture, if you're looking at the the monument, the cemetery is going to sit off here to your to your left. Um, this is the Hazen Brigade monument. Hazen Brigade is that that group of men that I was talking about who were fighting here, right there on that hinge, um, holding the Union line for them. And so the the men of the Union Army wanted to honor Hazen and his men some way so they they erected this this monument here and it is so it is the oldest civil war monument still in its original location in the u.s and that wasn't just for the soldiers a monument just for the soldiers that died at stones river was it was it for some other battles in the area as well i think also i think i read that somewhere or something is that true yes i believe so however the Battles that it was for escaped me at this point in time. I yeah, can't yeah. remember yeah, exactly. I did hear it. Yeah, I watched something yesterday, but I couldn't remember what it was. Anyway, um, the, the the worst thing about this battle, obviously, as you will know, is um, is the uh, it's the biggest amount of casualties, as in a percentage-wise, in the whole American Civil War, and and I don't think pe a lot of people don't really actually know or know that, do they? Um, because Stones River's overlooked, and uh, that's horrible, you know. Um, there's a cemetery. So is that the cemetery there? Um. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. But um. Yeah. So that just shows you, you know, the amount of people that that, that you know died. And it's horrible. Um, so anyway, my last question is, why do you actually think, though, that this battle is, is been forgotten compared to others and also in the West in general? Because I think the West actually now is starting to see, um, it's start, especially with like, you know, you've got you had the documentary about Grant not long ago. Um, I know Grant's a famous guy anyway. But um, the West seems to be a little bit more focused on. And I, I've got to say myself, I neglected the West for a little while as well, because 
I think you're you're always drawn to the 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 East because of the famous names, I suppose, in a way, you know, with General Lee mm-hmm. and you know Chamberlain and you know all these things. And most of the movies are made in the East, aren't they? About battles in the East or you know the war in the East. So why do you think it is forgotten about? Um, well, the Battle of Stones River, I think, you know, I, I don't know why it's forgotten about. Um, it's such a, if you go and visit that visit there today, it, you know, I hear people talk about, well, it's just a little battle, um, things along those lines. It's kind of gotten this reputation for being in, insignificant. Um, but if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, Stones River is, in my mind, almost a turning point of the war. Um, And just, it's not insignificant. It's not a small battle. Like you said, percentage wise, it's the, the, a battle that gives us the the greatest losses um, during the entire civil war. Yet we don't talk about it. Um, I think part of that could be due to the men who fought there. Um, There is somewhat of a trend that there are certain battles that the men just don't want to remember. Um, that the soldiers just don't want to remember because it was so gruesome, it was so bloody for them, um, and so hard for them. And so that may be part of the reason here at Stones River, um, you know, because that's kind of what we see at the Battle of Spotsylvania out in Virginia as well, is men just don't want to remember what happened there. So I'm not saying that's the whole reason why Stones River is kind of forgotten about, but it's definitely... It could definitely be playing a role. And like you said, it is a Western battle. Um, The Western theater is oftentimes forgotten about, um, which I find extremely remarkable because, you know, I I personally am of the belief that the war was was won or lost in the West. It may have been fought in the East. Um, You do see a lot of fighting in the East that's, you know, and I think part of the reason is because that's where both um, capitals were. You had Richmond and Washington. They're within 50 miles of each other. Um, so they're, you know, they're constantly going back and forth in that area. Um, and you have those famous figures like Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. Um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. And General Hooker. Um, for the union and things like that. Like you have these, these fairly famous people and these are people who had previously made a name for themselves um, before the war ever broke out. In the West, you kind of have these, these underdogs who people know about them, but they're not those big famous leaders that you, you see those stately leaders that you see fighting in the East. And so um but I, I, like I said, I often, I often believe that the war may have been fought in the East, but it was won or lost in the West. Um, the West is where you had your supplier routes, you had the Mississippi River, um, the railroad lines, things along those lines. And they, the Union specifically had to secure the Western theater in order to win the war. Otherwise, the Confederates would continuously get the supplies that they needed and stones river in particularly, like I said, I think I consider it a turning point in the war. Um, it really kind of sets the, the precedent of, um, what's going on and it allows for the union to, to gain a, a foothold in middle Tennessee from there, they're able to launch 
attacks down towards Atlanta, down towards Chattanooga, Chickamauga, things along those lines. Um, and really that's, you know, that's kind of what brings about the end of the war. So. Yeah, I totally agree with you actually. Yeah. Because, uh, and again, you know, they do forget. I mean, see, thing is, uh, Fixburg get, gets overlooked as well because of the date it falls on, you know, with Gettysburg being the third yep. and then course that falling on the fourth. Um, but yeah. So anyway, big thank you to Caroline. Uh, Car- Caroline, yeah, sorry, Davis, yep. for coming on and talking to us. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's really good. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Caroline. Thank you.